0: Page one, Wall Street Journal today about a CEO of an educational company who began using the chat bot, ChatGPT, to draft company letters and notes and asked his executive assistant to try the same for drafting replies to his inbound email. She prompts ChatGPT based on how she thinks he would respond, and then he edits the answers it generates before they send it. The machine, the computer, is writing the letters and responding to email. And Tom Gimbel joins us now, the founder of LaSalle Network. Tom wants to know: Should you use ChatGPT in your job search? Hey, Tom, welcome to the I show. Think...
1: Hey, John, I, I, I think it's awesome. I could have been the CEO in that article. My controller showed it to me a couple weeks ago, and I got on the on the platform. And it's fantastic. It is absolutely unbelievably good. Uh, good, a positive
0: tool. How about that? Well, if it saves time, then I guess it is. How do you use it that way? Yeah, I mean, what we've started to do is a variety of things. So you can you can do
1: it to help you with with a resume. You can help it with with job descriptions. You can help it with information about companies. It's really the internet that that it's like going on the web and 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 asking questions and not getting advertisements and not getting um, a wide variety of responses, but getting a step-by-step action plan on things to do or what to do. I'm thinking maybe the mayoral candidate should type in how to make Chicago safer and see what comes
0: out. (laughs) Okay, Pete, there you go. How to make Chicago safer um, chat we can GPT. Just, I think can, an cat GBT will be uh, that's not a bad idea that's right our, our the next mayor will be Hal 9000 from 2001 a Space Odyssey so so when you asked the question you said that the answer is yes and no to using artificial intelligence in your job search if that's the pro what's the con
1: so the con is are you missing some of the depths of of the process and and really understanding it reminds me a lot you know it's like for colleges there's a big thing that kids are having chat GBT write their papers right that's a terrible use and and you get into something that's historical and I think what you want to have is emotion tied to knowledge and so to me when you're going through a job search there's obviously the superficial uh, ability to scrape a job board and find ones that have the right titles for you but to look at the companies to actually read the descriptions to go through the, the manual steps, anything that comes too easily, you know, isn't worth habit having. And, and for the most part, I think I, I agree with that. I'd like to win the lottery sometime, but, but I think that that in, in specific on this, that you've got to use it to ask questions, but you can't try to avoid doing all the work because if you don't get the job, you've yeah. got no one to complain about to yourself.
0: Well, I think you're right about it, lacking a certain amount of depth. When we've used it, it seems to be, however specific to the question, kind of boilerplate. There doesn't seem to be a real personality to it. We haven't used it that much. Um, but one wonders, too, if we even need to be writing cover letters anymore. Do you think that the cover letter is still an essential part of a job search? No, I
1: think a good cover letter is. I, I think that you're <laughs> you're right. Is huh. that is that a basic cover letter of, Dear John, blah, 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 isn't. I think the cover letter of, um, I was introduced to you by John Williams, my experience is accomplishing A, B, and C due to a corporate bankruptcy, I was this, would love to talk to you in more detail. To me, I think it's what you say in it, and if that can't be shown in a resume, that there's a lot to it. When your cover letter is five paragraphs of five sentences each, you're, 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 you are probably what that cover letter says, boring.
0: So you want a cover letter that is good, is specific, not redundant to the resume, and brief, short, huh? Correct.
1: Absolutely, and I want, I want something that will pop out in a, in a bullet point format, and I want to know why you're sending this to me. Right, why did I get so lucky that you reached out to me do, do you do we know somebody in common? Did you study my company? Did you see that we were hiring in 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 groves you know what what why why are you sending this to me and if that's more than one sentence, we got a
0: problem. Do you like personal information in the resume or the cover letter?
1: No, not unless it's pertinent like I don't live in the state or um you know, I'm How about um, I'm a little league
0: coach that. or I donate to my charity or I go to church on Sunday or I don't know.
1: No, it doesn't no I'm not I'm not a religious guy, but but I, I think that doesn't do it. But I tell you what, when I was a kid applying for jobs at the bottom I put that I, I had loved cooking in college and I actually got a call back from an HR manager and he said to me I do the company cookbook. It's the only reason I called you
0: back. <laughs> well, so what do you know? A little personal anecdote might just be something that tips.
1: Yeah, I-, I think there's no doubt about it. I think you just have to be careful of something that alienates, right? I've heard things that says, you know, if somebody has golf on their resume, that either, A, they could love it because you can go out with clients and golf, or they think you're never going to want to be working <laughs> in the summer. Yeah, right. You're
0: gonna- right. Right. right? So you got to right. be careful. You can read more from Tom Gimbel, the founder and CEO at LaSalle Network at thelasallenetwork.com. He's got interesting ideas about how you should and should not use chat GPT. We'll chat later. Thank you, Tom. Six more days until the election, John. Don't forget to vote. That's Tom Gimbel. Let's talk to Jim Dalkey, the national editor at American Inno. You can read the writing that we'll talk about at chicagoinno.com. Talk to me a little bit, Jim, about Tovala. We've talked about them many times. What's Tavala in the news for today?
2: Yeah, Tavala, of course, Chicago startup, you know, in a a, a food town like Chicago, I think Tovala sort of stands out as one of its more interesting food startups. Uh, They launched it several years ago as a smart oven device, countertop device in your kitchen um, that can really do a bunch of different cooking methods, all from one device. So steam, bake, boil, toast, reheated. Um, Just last week announced they've officially added air frying to its capabilities. So the Tovala startup has a, a brand new oven that's an air fryer as well. Um, not a surprising move, right, for Tovala as, of course, the air frying movement has, you know, really just exploded. You can't go to kind of any big box store without seeing a bunch of different air fryer options on the shelves. And so certainly not a surprise that Tovala is sort of headed in this direction, maybe are a, a bit a touch behind the curve, if you could even argue, but really they believe their biggest differentiator here is their meal kit as well. So Tovala also has prepared meals that it sends uh, right to your door. Um, And this is as simple as scanning the barcode on the meal that comes in, uh, putting it in the Tovala oven, and they handle pretty much everything you need in terms of getting that food ready for you. So um, you can now air fry those meals directly from the Tovala oven. So a big move here from Tovala, which is a startup that's raised about $70 million since it launched a handful of years ago. This is a promising startup that went to Y Combinator, a big a prestigious accelerator out in Silicon Valley and really has kind of planted its flag in Chicago as it looks to expand across the country.
0: Talk to me about the battery builder Nanograph. Yeah, that's right. So right here
2: in Chicago, we have a really promising new battery startup called uh, Nanograph. They just raised $65 million last week in a big funding round. Um, Essentially what they're doing is creating uh, higher energy, higher powered lithium-ion batteries, I'm using some of its patented technology. Um, you know, this is a big deal because, as we're seeing businesses all across the country and the world, really are kind of going to uh, electric uh, batteries, and you know, they you know they think that they can be a big, big retailer to companies like uh, Harley Davidson and Caterpillar and John Deere, all big marquee brands here in the Midwest that are going electric, and so uh, this is uh, you know a, a big win for them if they're looking to expand their also growing in, uh, into a big new West Loop facility. So, um, you know, hey, this is, this is some pretty serious funding for some high technology startup right here in Chicago.
0: And one more story, uh, George Schultz, I didn't know he has some sort of innovation fund. Uh, talk about that and what, that, what, what they're doing.
2: Yeah, so the George Shultz Innovation Fund out of the University of Chicago uh, led a two million dollar seed round into a company here locally called a MemQ, M-E-M-Q. Speaking of high tech startups, these guys are doing um, memory storage for quantum computing. So you know, I think this, you know, sort of the next generation of, of really high scale computing. What MemQ wants to do is really kind of be the memory storage for for that high tech c- computing, and so. This is a startup that previously raised funding from the Department of Energy, and now it's got some additional funding to continue to grow. And really what they are, is kind of an indicator of the city's momentum in quantum technology, really kind of paying dividends. The city has really grown kind of leaps and bounds in the area. They are home to the first startup accelerator program that's dedicated specifically to quantum computing, and the city is also home to a quantum biology institute. And so a lot of activity happening both at the University of Chicago, as well as some of the big labs, like Fermilab and Argon, And so these startups are, are going to continue to kind of propel that growth, I think, in the city.
0: Well, these um, investments are bets, right? I mean, we, they don't know necessarily that these companies that they're investing in are going to be profitable or produce a scalable product, right? It's, it's, it's angel investment funding for these companies, Right.
2: Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you could certainly think of, you know, early seed stages are just sort of like placing your chips on the table, right? You're placing early bets. Um, you know, MIMQ has spin out of University of Chicago. And so you know, it's really led by some folks from the university and from a senior scientist at, at Argonne National Lab. And so, you know, really, they believe that they've got kind of like the early workings of what could be a, a really major piece of the, the quantum computing landscape.
0: I guess I'm only thinking about that. It has nothing to do with this company, MemQ, but um, George Schultz, didn't he? Wasn't he on the board of Theranos, and that sure seemed like a good idea, and turned out to not be right.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing about the Schultz Innovation Fund is that they you know they really kind of. Zeroing in right to the University of Chicago, and so um, you know they're plugging into you know lots of high tech businesses that are coming out of the university there, and so you know I think what one thing you're seeing at University of Chicago, right, is that like hey they're kind of really saying hey we want to plant our flag into some high tech startups. I mean there have been a lot of kind of buzzy consumer companies coming out of the university, which nothing wrong with that. Of mm-hmm. course uh, Chicago home to companies like uh, Grubhub, for example, but. You know, there's also some very high-tech, uh, you know, high-value startups coming out of the university as well, and it's to, it's possible that MemQ could be one of those.
0: I hope so. Good to hear you, as always, and read this stuff from Jim Dahlke, national editor at American Inno. Thanks for your help this week, Jim. Thanks, John. The yo-yo that is the world's, at least America's economy, continues to yo-and-yo. Look at today's markets. Jason Turner joins us now, chief investment strategist at Wintrust Wealth Management. What the heck? What the heck, Jason? Here's my opening question for you. What the heck?
3: Well, uh, you certainly have the appropriate reaction to a market that has taken a decided downturn here this morning and and into the afternoon hours.
0: We're down five plus hundred. I'm not exactly sure we just had a number where we are right now. But, um, you know, uh, sometimes five or six hundred points on the Dow doesn't mean that much. Does this mean much what's happening today?
3: Well, it was 538 points down on the Dow as of right now. It's about 1.6% losses on the NASDAQ and the Russell 2000 for small cap stocks are are a little bit worse. So some of those stocks that had been doing a little bit better in January uh, are doing a little bit worse now today. And this could start to look a bit like a pivot point. Uh, We saw some disturbing uh, warnings from Walmart and Home Depot. Uh, that are triggering some of this downturn here, but the market's largely also ignored economic signals for most of the month of January, and this might be a little bit of a wake-up call there too.
0: Yeah. How explain the first part of that? How is it that we were one thing was not leading to another in the first um, six weeks of the year, anyway?
3: Yeah, I think we had a, a number of, of mixed signals from uh, our economic data, where we're looking at inflation getting better and employment markets remaining strong. We were seeing a lot of information coming out of the fourth quarter that we had slowed from October to November and slowed more from November to December in terms of consumer activity, uh, leading some to assume that a recession was was uh, definitely in the cards here in the short term. Uh, those that are in the, the camp of a, a recession, maybe in the longer term, were pointing to those employment numbers being better. Uh, the markets tended to try to be positive and try to look out uh, to the long term and, and think that. Maybe we'd been a little too pessimistic coming into the end of December, and, and it turned positive for January.
0: So what does the market look like if we have this recession or when we have this recession? I'm looking at something from Canaccord Genuity that says that the recession is forward-looking a bull story, but the headline on this story is the market has yet to hit the bottom, according to them. What, what does the market look like on the downside this year?
3: yeah with the the strength in january uh we're definitely not at a bottom at this point uh even with today's losses if we tip into recession at any point further down in the year logic would tell us that, that the low point in the markets is going to come around uh the low point in the recession so figure that's going to be much later in the year now given the early strength probably generate uh positive economic growth here in the first quarter uh, when some thought we were going to be negative but um the case For this being a bull recovery, say in 2024 or beyond, uh, hinges a lot on on Fed policy, hinges a lot on how deep of a recession we end up in. Uh, And the case could be made that it could be a little bit of time to claw our way back out if it's deeper than expected. But if it's shallow, it paints a nice case for a a pretty strong recovery, but not until the recession ends. And at this point, that's looking more like next year.
0: If we wanted to rip the Band-Aid off of a recession, we would we would want the economy to not be doing as well as it's doing right now, right?
3: Uh, that's right. If you wanted to enter a recession faster, we'd need to see the employment markets send a, a more clear signal. And with unemployment at a 63-year low, that's not happening.
0: And is the, recession, is the is the Fed trying to engineer something like that, though?
3: The Fed's trying to engineer what they call a soft landing. If you read between the lines in some of the Fed participants' comments, uh, both last year and early this year, their definition of a soft landing could include a shallow recession, uh, something that slows inflation to the point that they're comfortable backing off their singular focus and fighting inflation going forward.
0: Is there an upside to all of this? I do see that Treasury yields are still pretty high.
3: Yes, Treasury yields remain high. The yield curve remains inverted where the shorter-term Treasuries are paying you more than a longer-term Treasury, a 10-year Treasury. Uh, the idea that cash is a real asset class to allocate to in this type of environment, uh, to with fixed income, uh, core fixed income, uh, is looking like an attractive investment right now, given that that market is largely priced in most of the anticipated Fed movement here uh, for the remainder of the spring.
0: And your position, though, as an investment strategist, that, in, those inverted, that inverted yield curve, however attractive that becomes, that's not a good thing, right? We, we would be better off if that were not the case.
3: That's true. Uh, that's sending a clear sign of, of economic weakness. Uh, inverted yield curves, uh, either the two-year being higher than the 10-year or the three-month being higher than the 10-year, which are both significantly higher right now, send a pretty clear sign that uh, a recession is on the way. Their predictive uh, percentages are in the 60 to 70% range to getting it right on a, a recession call. Jason, the big picture paints it as as not a a great positive, John.
0: One more thing for you. Jason Turner, Chief Investment Strategist at Wintrust Wealth Management. Talk to me about the housing market then. What have we seen? What are we thinking is going to happen in the first half?
3: Yeah, housing market looks set to continue to slow. We actually just reported existing home sales at their lowest level in 12 years. For January. Uh, The pace of decline is slowing though, so we'll paint a little bit of a silver lining around that as we saw a very rapid uh, drop in existing home sales as mortgage rates skyrocketed last year. Uh, There's maybe some cautious optimism in the housing market uh, that the slump could be somewhere close to a bottom here early this year. Uh, It may plateau for a little bit, but uh, the longer term viewpoint on the real estate market as buyers get more comfortable with rates being at levels they're at. And doing that math on on rate levels, uh, where they sit today or maybe a little lower, uh, means we could see some cautious optimism going forward.
0: That's interesting, because I think at 6%, we all decided that nobody wants to buy a home right now. Maybe in time, we'll get used to that. But you've still got an inventory problem, don't you?
3: You still have an inventory problem. You still have uh, inventory levels that are below where they have historically been. Uh, we've been in that situation for three plus years now. But uh, buyers, particularly those that aren't sitting in a refinance mortgage at 3%, looking to trade up, those that are sitting maybe in a rental, looking at the equation of, of 6% mortgage rates, now starting to adjust their purchase price, to adjust their expectations uh, to meet the mortgage market. And that could help to uh, boost home sales as we look towards the end of this year into next year.
0: Yeah, sure. So in other words, buyers are either going to have to come up with more money or resign themselves to a smaller house. But if you're going to be a seller, ultimately every seller is a buyer, but if you're selling, it sounds like the prices will stay good for you,
3: Correct. We could see a little bit of weakness here in the short term in home prices. Uh, that's that's not to be discounted given the low level of existing home sales. But uh, for the longer term picture, this doesn't look much like uh, the 2006 to 2008 time frame when we experienced that rapid run up and then run down in prices.
0: Okay, Jason Turner, Chief Investment Strategist, Wind Trust Wealth Management. Thanks for your time today, Jason. Thanks, John. Let's keep rolling on the trust Business Lunch. Here's more business news with Steve Grzanich.
4: Start your timer. It's time for the Wind Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Cannabis company MedMen Enterprises is trying to sell some of its dispensaries, including two in suburban Chicago. The company, which operates 29 retail stores and six cultivation centers across seven states, says it's considering selling dispensaries in Oak Park and Morton Grove. Facilities in Nevada and Arizona could also be sold. The is in the middle of a restructuring process and says it has also cut payroll costs by 34%. Medman has operations in California, Nevada, Arizona, Florida, Illinois, New York, and Massachusetts. Chicago-based United Airlines is partnering with Boeing, GE Aerospace, J.P. Morgan Chase, and others with investments in the development of sustainable aviation fuel. The airline will make an initial investment of about $100 million dollars. The investment will help fund startups working on SAF technology and production. United had previously pledged to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 100 percent by 2050. Consumers will also be included in this latest effort. United says the first 10,000 travelers who contribute to the investment fund will receive 500 mileage plus miles. I'm Steve Grizanich, and that's your Trust Business Minute. Here's the business of food and Steve Alexander.
5: Thank you, and I'm going to start with an appeal to any relative of Gertrude Snodgrass or anyone who knows a relative of Gertrude Snodgrass to get in touch. I'll tell you why after we thank the Chevy Silverado HD for being our sponsor today, Experience life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Okay, Gertrude Snodgrass, the most important Chicagoan you've never heard of. She was a co-founder of the Greater Chicago Food Depository, and she personally fed thousands thousands of Chicagoans in need. Greg Trotter wrote about food for the Tribune for a decade, and then he went to work for the Food Depository, where he dusted off his journalistic skills and dug into its history.
6: really got curious when I talked to David Chandler, who was the the food depository's first executive director, and he basically said that it would never have gotten off the ground if not for her.
5: And in a city of statues and honorary street signs, you would think there'd be at least one of either or both for Gertrude Snodgrass. No. And here's what really got me about the article that Greg wrote for Chicago Magazine. At the Queen of Heaven Cemetery in Hillside, where she was buried in 1989 there isn't even a grave marker.
6: I couldn't believe it. You know, it's it obviously seems wrong and unjust that someone who would have such an impact and do so much good uh, and help so many people, and she's she's in an unmarked grave.
5: Well, okay, why don't we all just pitch in a few bucks and get her a proper gravestone? It isn't that easy.
6: The, the cemetery told me that we would need permission of surviving Ken to to place a marker there, which I was not able to find surviving Ken.
5: Which is why at the beginning of this, I asked if you or someone you know is related to Gertrude Snodgrass. Let me know. Greg Trotter, who now works for Nourishing Hope, formerly known as the Lakeview Pantry, where he's director of marketing and communications, says she was born in Alabama in 1913.
6: She was part of the Great Migration when millions of black people moved from the south up to
5: Chicago in urban areas in the north. And here she started feeding the poor out of her two-flat in Garfield Park. And that's where we will pick up the story of unsung hero Gertrude Snodgrass tomorrow. That's the business of food on 720
0: WGN. Rashad Johnson joins us, president and CEO of Ardmore Roderick on WGN's Win Trust Business Lunch. Welcome to the show, Rashad.
7: Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it.
0: I understand that you are involved in fostering the future generations of diverse engineers. Tell me a little bit about that.
7: We, we are, John. So, um, you know, our mission at Ardmore Roderick, we, we are an infrastructure engineering firm with about 250 people across six offices across the U.S., and our mission is to advance the design and construction of critical infrastructure in the built environment to improve communities we want to improve the communities in multiple ways, not just by the things we design and we construct, but also by improving communities by bringing in the next wave of engineers, specifically those who are African-American, who come from the south side of Chicago and un- other underserved areas of the city. And so we've partnered with Benjamin E. May's school, where it's, it's a grade school in Englewood, where we understand that high school is too late, John. It's too late. It's too many other competing interests in high school to foster a love for math and science the way we need to do it. So we're starting at third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, getting students comfortable with math, getting students comfortable with science, so that hopefully they will pick science majors and we are literally growing the next crop of African-American engineers.
0: Is Benjamin Mays a magnet school?
7: It is not, Uh, and that's one of the reasons that we chose it. We felt like we wanted to go to the schools who do not have the access to the funds and the magnet and 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 really wanted to sponsor this school and help this school in a way that no other has been able to do and make a significant impact not just come in and do a few things and leave every month we send engineers to teach students about different facets of engineering. And we do it in a very hands-on way that's Mm -hmm. suitable for grade schoolers to get them to understand, but more importantly, to get them to foster this love for math and science that I've had since I was a kid.
0: I could see, though, why it would be tempting to cherry-pick one of the the famous uh, high schools or magnet schools, Uh, but you're telling me that if I randomly selected any grade school, I could find STEM kids. I could find kids that would love and appreciate STEM.
7: That's absolutely right, and that's where we're going, right? It's not just the students who have already shown an aptitude for math. It's the ones that don't know they have it yeah. because they haven't been exposed to it. And these children in Inglewood know and understand and are learning math and STEM and not afraid of it anymore. Are there any and tricks to the trade?
0: Is there something that you do that is not being done? How do you foster that?
7: Well, again, I think part of the, the, the conversation is getting them comfortable. Um, not recognize I mean, them not recognizing that they have the skill because it hasn't been fostered and they don't recognize it. And so, what we do is we do small experiments yeah. with things that they understand, with to get them to understand the basic concepts, to get them asking the question of why. And once you ask the question, what, well, why does this bridge stand? Now, you've just opened the door for me to teach you about engineering, <laughs> which is, has been fantastic for us. Hmm.
0: So when your firm isn't doing this, what do you all do?
7: Well, um, we are one of the leading um, engineering firms in the state of Illinois, uh, headquartered in the state of Illinois, um, and we're currently working on all things infrastructure. So we do program management, design, construction, construction management uh, for all things infrastructure, whether or not that's gas, electric, um, water, buildings, bridges, roads, streets, um, trains. I, I always affectionately say planes, trains, and automobiles. If there is an infrastructure program yeah. in Chicago, there's a good chance we're on
0: it. Boy, we need. And boy, if ever we needed it, I think we do now. I'm not going to buy a bridge today, Rashad. But what can I do to help your firm or help your your goal here of getting young kids interested in STEM?
7: You know what I would love to have happen is for other engineering firms in the city to adopt a school on the south and west sides of Chicago, yeah. and and if every firm that's in this industry adopts a school and starts to teach young people who are not exposed to this about math and science, I think we can make a real difference in the city. Uh, you're a St.
0: Ignatius kid. Where'd you go to grade school? Are you a South Side guy or where?
7: South Side through and through. I was born and raised uh, right off 71st and Jeffrey. I went to St. Albie on 91st in the Stony Island, then St. Ignatius, uh, and then University of Illinois and Notre Dame, and I just kept going.
0: Rashad Johnson is the president and CEO of Ardmore Roderick, and wow, uh, what, what a great goal, and uh, we're so glad that you're doing what you're doing. ArdmoreRoderick.com is the website. Rashad, stay in touch and let us know if we can keep putting the word out.
7: Thanks, John. I'll certainly do that. Thank you.